Today's episode discusses serious mental health issues and a suicide attempt. It may be triggering to some. If you are feeling low or suicidal, please seek immediate medical assistance. Okay, so we were saying that some of the stuff that you've been talking about mental health is, um, we hit the record button again, so is a little bit uh, controversial. It is, it is. And the reason it's controversial, though, I believe personally is because it's real. And sometimes the truth isn't always the prettiest thing though when we are when we are promoting the wrong message this is when i i don't i don't stand for it for example two years back i was blessed to be able to to be flown to brisbane and i spoke at two conferences there now first conference was great it was a peer worker forum it was very high energy very supportive team there and it was it was a great opportunity for me to be even be amongst it all the next um, conference was the, the, I was just about to fly out and it was called Now, I was very, very, very like <laughs> grateful and almost in, in a way like, oh, like, <laughs> like intimidated as well when I got into the room because here are like about 300 people, but these are like big company CEOs, heads of HR, um, the Queensland minister was there, people in parliament, the Queensland Mental Health Commission. I'm thinking, Jesus, like <laughs> these are some like people's names in here. They, their word has weight. And you keep here, and I kept hearing this same thing over and over by some of the speakers. Depression is a lifelong illness. We can't cure anxiety. We can't cure these mental health struggles. And honestly, there's a fire inside of me that just wanted to come out. I was, I, I, I was, yeah, I was getting angry at myself, not at myself, but within myself. And anyways, I was, I, I then. So I, I've been on a panel at the end of the day. It's, it's the last panel of the day. And you know, I love having the last word as well. And they put me at the end to share. <laughs> and they, um, I went up and I just said the truth. I said, look, this is, uh, this is the reality of things. I'm a representation of what bad mental health can lead to, right? I'm a physical representation of the consequences. Though, I'm also a representation for the other side. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. We can overcome these struggles and that it's possible. And I got some dirty looks for some some of these like organizations in the in the crowd. Though afterwards, I had many people come up to me and say, "Matt, no, thank you for for, for sharing that with us." Your, do you, sorry. Do you think that you get um, frowned down on or looked down on because you don't have a mental health degree, PhD? behind you so they're assuming when you're talking that you don't have any form of knowledge or education on the subject some people do some people do have that idea of me because you haven't studied who are you to talk on this well i'm sorry if my experience doesn't doesn't tell you enough i don't know what will now that's not to say that i'm arrogant and i'm I'm not going to ever like like study or learn no i'm constantly looking up new things and trying to educate myself further though doesn't mean I need to have a, de- a de- degree or a diploma or, or some certificate by some educational institute that says you did this. No, I can do my own research. And I, and the thing is that even with all the things I've looked up, nothing rings more true to, to me and other people than my experience as well. And people seem to learn more from that than, than yeah, other stuff, but yeah. 
Today's guest has gone through a lot for his limited years on the planet. His views are at times controversial and we agree on some points and disagree on others. Regardless, his story is a cautionary tale of the seriousness of untreated mental health issues. A failed suicide attempt at 16 resulted in him becoming a paraplegic and his mission now is to talk about mental health issues differently. Episode 52, Matthew Caruana. Welcome to One Moment Please, the podcast where our guests take a moment to tell their stories of how they've overcome adversity to achieve success, and you take a moment to tune in to bring on the inspiration. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us, Matt. Or us, I say us as in the royal we, me, myself and I. Um, <laughs> now you have had your you, your keynote speaking and uh, you're doing you facilitate mental fitness lectures. I don't quite know what the difference between mental fitness is between mental health. I'm sure that you can explain that, but you have had, you've had an interesting journey to, to get to this point. So why don't you sort of tell me a little bit about that journey because it's been, um, it's been an interesting one and probably a fairly full on one for yourself in terms of that, that roadmap. Yeah, it was um, quite full on quite full on it started when i was 12 the struggles yeah. that came about though growing up you know i looked like a quote-unquote perfect kid like no, yeah. no real family struggles grew up you know great family um popular in school good grades good sport and i yeah i, I felt depressed when i was 12 because i felt that i was worthless and that's that's a, that's a interesting where do you think that that narrative came from so normally from speaking to people that would be usually if they've been bullied at school or they didn't have that popularity or if they had some sort of event or trauma that that created that narrative but it doesn't sound like you had any of that for the depression to start Mm. yeah and so the reason it came about was i asked myself questions i would you know question myself because i mean i was always hearing people you know everyone has a purpose everything happens for a reason and, you know, I grew up in a Catholic upbringing and I was always told that, you know, you will find your purpose to, the, to God through the Bible. Now, I'm not bashing religion. It just didn't resonate with me. Yeah. And I decided to, you know, I want to, I want to find my purpose. Like, I, I don't want to, I don't want to hear that I have a purpose, but I don't know what it is. So I asked myself that question and I don't know how to answer that at 12 years old. <laughs> it's a bit, bit of a complicated one. So... Well, if I wasn't here, if I was gone, would anything actually change? And that's hard to answer as well when you're alive. So I ask myself, do I actually add any value to people? Do I actually add any like value to society? Because if a purpose is about contributing, giving back, do I do that? And that's when I had my answer. I had complete clarity at that point. So I thought I was 12. I had no job, lived at home with my parents, all that... <laughs> I mean, all I did was really just take up space. So if I wasn't here anymore, nothing would change. Wow. So that's, that's, I mean, they're very existential questions to ask yourself at 12 years old. But why did you feel that you didn't? And I think this is important for other teenagers out there and parents that are listening. How did you, how did you come to that? No one will miss me. I'm a waste of space. When you had from what you've just described, a, a stable, loving family environment to 
stable friends at school environment Mm. how did that waste a space that's what that's what intrigues me yeah 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 so if you want to go deeper into that let's go deep matt let's let's go deep let's go deeper yeah (laughs) so behind all that now i had a loving family yeah doesn't mean we're close right doesn't mean there was actually meaningful connection there right so we like my my parents and i for example we you know it's it's like (laughs) i love them like i live live at home with them but doesn't mean we're close i never this is just me personally i when i was younger i didn't view my dad as a role model growing up and my mum and i for personal reasons would i never felt close to her Mm. never felt close to her and that's would then carry on because really what I was seeking was connection. I think right? everyone so, I think everyone seeks connection. Why did you not view your dad as a role model? I now do. At the time I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just say I didn't think he was in the right relationship. Right. And I could see and sense it. He and it's funny because like now my parents are separated and he has a new partner. Both of them have new partners and they're both better versions of themselves. Mm. You can see their aliveness come out. It wasn't a good fit. But it brought out a side of him that personally I didn't look up to, I didn't like and didn't appreciate. Okay, I can understand At least when that. I was 12. When I'm, when I'm 12, I can understand right? that. <laughs> Kids are very percep- perceptive, so I can understand that. Wow. Okay, so you were... Having your existential moments, thinking about um, your place in life, probably gu- dealing with a whole lot of Catholic guilt as well. Coming up in a Catholic Catholic <laughs> environment, well known for the guilt. Um, but how how did you just not? I mean, lots of people turn inwards and become very depressed. It's it's one one thing sort of being depressed. It's another thing sort of taking it to the next level, which which you did. Mm. was it incremental or was it just one day i i don't want to be here anymore the moment i i came up with the answer that i was worthless and that i was a waste of space i yeah let's just say i started to question whether i was even worth being here anymore wow and so suicidal thoughts started when i was 12 i got heavily involved in drugs dealing addiction all that jazz and you just brushed like, over that very, very, very quickly, Matt. Come I, on. <laughs> I, I do, but <laughs> the thing about it is like, it's because the drugs weren't the root cause. Yeah. They were only like an amplifier. Yeah. That only brought out more of it because I was now chasing this fix that was, you know what? It was killing the pain temporarily. Self, self, self-soothing. Yeah, yeah. And... You know, because you experience such a high, that low feels so much lower that it 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 affects you heavily. But yeah, it was when I was sixteen. Now I want to give a little bit more context before I actually get into this. When I was fourteen, I got into the gym. Now at this stage, I'm extremely skinny. I had stopped coke. I stopped dealing at, at this stage. Though you know, I'm. <laughs> insecure about my body. It's why I got into the gym and I worked hard at that. You know what? I, 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 the results showed and it was at the end of, so this is what, 2014, which is year nine for me. So I'm now 15. 
I remember at this stage, I'm not telling a soul how I'm thinking or feeling anymore. There were a couple people I used to tell, like my girlfriend at the time and the school counselor, like I would see every now and then. I'd never go to her. She would chase me up. But I, from that moment on, I, I decided I'm not telling a soul. Already, I would barely talk about it. Why? But, why did you not? Why did you not want to talk about it? Was it just that you didn't want to show that level of vulnerability and weakness? Well, growing up, no one really showed like their emotions. Well, uh, well, they did their excitement, their uh, their happiness, their gratitude. They never showed though when they're upset, when they were frustrated, when they were down. They would just keep to themselves. They go like. Yeah, they, they, they wouldn't they wouldn't talk much. And so I adopted that. And none of my friends did it as well. And by the time we started, you know, you'd hear about mental health and the conversations and all that stuff, and you should, you know, speak up and all this stuff. By the time I started hearing that, I just wanted to tell everyone, fuck off, just yeah. leave me alone. I'm like, the, and the reason why I, I, I wanted that, I didn't feel anyone I really connected with. Because mm. seeking connections the entire time, but every time I'd hear about mental health, it was never how, like, it was never real. It was, it was always by some person with some label on them that says, oh, you should be doing X, Y, Z. And, and I, it's like, and I think, who are you to talk about that? Yeah, I think also as a kid, when you see adults talking about mental health, adults can come about it from a very unrelatable um, position because mm. there's, you know, as a kid, you don't think adults know anything anyway. So when they start telling you... <laughs> all this stuff you kind of like oh, whatever <laughs> it's interesting that you said that the council the school counselor would chase you up so obviously there were signs that you were that people were picking up on that you weren't happy yeah and you know if you were to ask my ex-girlfriend like if she knew i was upset i'd tell her no i'm tired i'm fine i don't like don't worry it's only like i'm i'm fine but she knew deep down that something was wrong mm. she really did the, the counselor, I mean, she would yeah, follow me up every now and then. I would just lie to her every session. Um, yeah, but I brought up the gym for a reason because, like I said, it's always seeking connection. Seeing connection firstly through like finding a greater purpose within myself than through drugs. Now it was the gym. And, you know, the reason the gym gave me that connection was I was getting all this external validation because I was working hard. The progress was showing. I became bigger. I became leaner. And people really... Because, you know, at school, people were, you know, like stroking my ego, especially the older older grades. And that really, like, <laughs> boosted the insecurities, let's say that. And the I had ex- this vision. The external, so, sorry, the external validation boosted your insecurities. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. So why did it boost those insecurities? Because now I'm compa- comparing myself more than ever. Now I've got to make sure I'm the biggest guy in the room. Now I've got to make sure I'm more ripped than so-and-so and such and such. Right. Okay. So it mm. wasn't just a, yeah, okay, they're appreciating that I'm looking good and I've got a good rig on me. It's I've I've now got to compete with other people as well. Well, and just on what you just said there, there well, they were appreciating my body but not me. They weren't appreciating me. It's like, oh, mate, you're so big. You're so ripped. Mate, you're the biggest guy at the school. But how about Matt? I like the person you are. Yeah. Matt, I think you're a genuine person. Matt, this is – what about the person I am? That's That was never there. Everything was external, right? Again, feeding the ego as well. And I had this vision, you know, I was going to 
I was going to bulk up, put on all this weight, sh- cut down, and I was going to make a photo and put it on Facebook. And I did exactly that. I put on 30 kilos in eight months, dropped 20 in four, and I was, you know, I was looking good. I was ripped. And I posted on Facebook all the attention in the world, right? The likes, comments, friend requests, girls inboxing me, all that stuff. And, you know, everyone firmly believes like, like, damn, this guy, like he works hard, he's disciplined, this, that. <laughs> it's funny, all the external validation in the world was not enough because you put back the layers behind that photo of that, you know, topless mat posing for the photo. Behind the muscles is someone who's actually broken, who's, <laughs> who's deeply insecure, scared and depressed. That a week after I post that photo and prove to the world that I'm somebody I make the decision to go and try to end my own life on January 9th, 2016. Because the pain was too much, I decided to go jump off my local shopping center to end my life. Hmm. It's interesting that you mentioned that that it was the external validation that exacerbated everything. And I think that that sort of goes hand in hand in regards to social media these days, doesn't it, when we see that the issues that are happening with (laughs) Yeah, teenagers and mental health and <laughs> absolutely chasing the likes. Yeah, it's, it's a mm. because it's in your face. And yeah. even when, like, even thinking back to when you know you're early in high school and you see all your friends hanging out on the weekends with all these f- people out in school, out from outside of school, all these different cool things, and you realize you're in your room on your phone with no one. And then you're comparing everything you see because all you're seeing on on social media, which has become basically the new world that we live mm-hmm. in, is people's highlight reels, people's pretty pictures, people's perfect moments, not seeing the reality of what their actual lives look like. Yeah, I think it's even worse when you've been in COVID lockdown situations as well and you're seeing other people out living, you know, in different areas, in different cities, or if you're stuck in your lounge room and you've, you know, like that's, Mm. I think COVID's probably put another aspect of of things in the isolation, particularly kids not being able to go to school and having that social interaction. So it's more remote. You mentioned the connection. Yeah. How, why did you decide to use that method of suicide? Why did I want to jump? I've, yeah. been cont- I've been contemplating for years how I was going to do it, for years how I was going to do it. It was just, I remember, it's funny, like a lot of stuff happened around this period of time where I decided I wasn't going to tell anyone about the um, like how I was feeling, how I was thinking, and how I wanted to have that goal for the gym around that time as well is when I had solidified exactly how I was going to go about it. And I made a mental movie, <laughs> literally. I, um, it's like I wrote a movie script and I visualized exactly how I was going to do it, where I was going to do it, even even the time of day I was going to go about it. But I just didn't know when. I didn't have a date. And it was like this thought that was always on my mind. And the day I did it, the night I did it, was <laughs> just before we were supposed to go on holidays. Literally the morning, <laughs> like the next morning, we would have gone down to Bateman's Bay, but let's just say there were signs. There were many signs. So at this time, I'm I'm a heavy gym goer, six days a week, religiously going. That morning, firstly, I woke up later than I normally did. 
I'm usually up at 5, 5.30. I was up way later than that. And my mom's like, this is a bit weird. It's a bit odd. Are you going to come to the gym? Are you going to train? Like, Because I, I used to train with my mom. And I told her no. But it's a Saturday. I was school holidays. Nothing planned for the day. What do you mean you're not going, Matt? And I said, mom, I'm tired. Right? And so I basically just stayed in my room most of the day. Just played my guitar and didn't talk to anyone didn't want to talk to anyone either. My girlfriend at the time, she was with her friends, sleeping over at their house as well, like the whole day with them and sleeping over at their place. So I just kept to myself. Though the only person I left the note for, a message for, was, yeah, her, my ex, and sent her a text. Just word vomiting every thought that I had at that moment, not saying what I was going to do, but, you know, if you read it, you would have known exactly what I was going to go about. So you, you sent her a text. That was your note. Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. Do you think that you sent the text because you, there's a, there's a part of you that wanted her to stop you because were you at home when you sent the text and then you went to the shopping center? So this is about 11 o'clock at night. I was, so when I had solidified exactly, this is it, I I made a decision I closed my laptop, opened my phone. She's the only person on my contacts that I thought would care, by the way. And basically everything I'm word, everything I'm saying in this text is how I feel about her, how I feel about it, how the thoughts I've always had. Um, and also thoughts about myself as well, that I hadn't expressed, I had kept in for so long. And yeah, that was, it was it, it was effortless. It was like just a half hour, just like nonstop, just going, 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 going. I didn't like really like read over what I was saying. It was just all came out. And it's like everything I'd built up for four years. But as soon as I hit the text, the reason I don't think I, I mean, like at least from my perspective now, <laughs> obviously it's just my perspective, but I didn't think I did it as a call for help because I, as soon as I sent the text, I, I left my phone on my bed and got my shoes and snuck out of my house because I did not anything, want anything stopping me. Hell, when I snuck out of my house, out of the garage, there was a window in the garage that was, you know, when I used to sneak out, I used to leave it a crack open. I shut that thing because I knew for a fact I wasn't coming back. That was my only way back into the house. And if I was to come back, I had to face my parents and say, Hey, I snuck out of the house and they could easily ask, well, what'd you do that for? Well, I was going to go end my life. I, I, I wasn't going to do that. I already didn't speak to my parents at all. So I, yeah, I um, did everything I could to make sure no one was going to stop me. And even in this whole process from sneaking out to going to the, to the shopping center, it's about a 15 minute walk. That's plenty of time to have another thought. Mm. But in my mind, it's just this dark, dark monologue of just thoughts that don't seem like mine, that, but they are at the same time. It, let's just say if I wrote them out, it'd be enough to like give you nightmares. If someone had pulled you aside, which sounds like there were adults in your life that were trying to do that with the counsellor and stuff like that at school, <clears throat> And I want to be careful that we're not putting any blame on the adults around because it sounds like you were hiding Absolutely it not. very, very, very well. But do you think that they, if they had an inkling 
do you think there was anything that they could have done to stop it escalating to the point where you were suicidal? No one was real. That was the thing. And I mentioned it earlier, how, you know, we, uh, I, I didn't feel like we'd connect with anyone. And like I said, you know, these mental health professionals, these conversations about mental health and everything, they're really good. I'm not bashing it at all. And I'm what, what I am saying, though, is what, what I think I needed was someone maybe as real as me, as, as blunt as me. Mm. And I don't say that to toot my own horn, but when I um, like when I run my, run my workshops, for example, right, so many times I hear the same thing over and over afterwards, like usually come Q&A, there's not many questions, but afterwards there's always people lining up to speak to me and I hear the same thing over and over. And it, it gives me a mixture of gratitude, a mixture of upset as well that this is happening but i constantly hear matt i've been feeling depressed now for this number of years and i've been doing this for this long and you're the first person i've told i'm a complete stranger and what i see in that moment every time someone comes up to me and shares that i see my younger self i think what would have happened if i if if Someone came to me was so was brave enough to be vulnerable, share their story as it is, not by you know beating around the bush and making sure it's 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 fluffy and pretty and or whatever. No, saying it as it is and being real and just addressing the dirt because you can't sweep shit under the rug and expect to to, to be okay long term. It's gonna mm. rot eventually, mm. and it felt like they weren't getting the dirt underneath the carpet. They were just cleaning the top part. Though what I know is when I run my workshops by me going in and by me just being real, I'm connecting with people. And that's exactly what I think I needed. I want to go to that night go back to the night where you uh, attempted to commit suicide. And I want to be very careful that we're saying it in a way that's respectful and I don't want to give anybody any ideas. So let's mm. have the conversation with that as a premise. <clears throat> Talk me through you, you've you walked to the shopping centre because you've decided that you're going to, to jump. Yep. Was there a moment before you actually jumped off the shopping center roof that like what were you what were you thinking as you were about to to go like was there just a 100 percent commitment did you have any sort of wavering at all well, one thing that was also in my mind was you know that that idea that mental movie like i said earlier right i had visualized exactly what it was going to look like I would have these visuals day in, day out. I mean, like while I was in school, while I was in the gym, while I was like with my friends or whatever, like, I was constantly thinking about this. And it it, it was like the, the thoughts going through my mind were with complete certainty that this is what I needed to do. It, it's, it's like this inner calling that, you know, this had to had to happen for not not just for me, but for the betterment of everyone else as well. 
Because if I wasn't adding any value to society, at least I could add some value by making more space. And even when I jumped, you know, when my when I was off the edge, the first thought I had, and this is the only thing I remember after I jumped, was finally. Wow. So you weren't thinking, oh, fuck. I fucked up here. <laughs> you were like... No. Yeah. Okay. Like, yeah. I was, yeah. I mean, it's just the constant thought of this has been four years of pain. And the why have I, why haven't I done this earlier? That was going through my mind. Yeah. You sitting here talking to me. So obviously you were unsuccessful in the, in the suicide attempt. Were you, what was your first, when you woke up, what was the first, um, memory from that time it's funny when i woke up i thought it was the afterlife or something like that really <laughs> you, you, you're confused right like i you don't know where you are i mean so and this is the thing right like because i'm heavily medicated and drugged up right there's like there's people staring at me i'm like who the hell are these people like and you know there are boots on both my legs i've got a neck brace cast on both arms are on slings I've got a feeding tube going through me. I've got a catheter. I've got all these like tubes going through me. So you me, woke up in hospital. You woke up in hospital. Yeah, two weeks later. Right. Yeah, I was. Um. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I I was I was very blessed to wake up in hospital because I was found six hours later. And when I was there, all I was thinking was this, the exact same thing. This, this thought that was so prevalent because I mean, if I'm honest, I don't remember ICU very vividly but this this one thought just stands out like as clear as day it was you know i was worthless beforehand and i only wanted one thing not just for me but for everyone else and i just wanted to end my own life i couldn't do that right you know if i was worthless beforehand if i was wasting space how much more pathetic am i now and not only that i'm (laughs) mentally and emotionally i'm in the same place Physically, I'm more challenged. I've got a spinal cord injury. I've got a brain injury. I had 35 injuries in total. I saw the, yeah, the list of things that I had. And I, was, and I was like, how much more worse? Or a, what's the word? How much more of a liability could I be mm. to society? How mm. much more worthless does worthless get? And yeah. Who found you? They were doing some construction at the shopping center at the time. And there was these tradies that found me around about 5.30 in the morning. And they called the cops. My dad woke up and he realizes Matt's not home. And so he calls the cops and they put the two calls together. And that's how they found me. Did they think that you were dead when they found you, the tradies? Um, uh, I've, I have no idea. No if I'm idea. honest, I don't actually yeah. know who the tradies are. I'm going to do some digging and find these people and thank them because I don't know what's left in their mind. I don't know what they're thinking because of seeing me as well. Yeah. But, but yeah. So you wake up in hospital. Uh, sounds like you were out of ICU by the time you woke up. Hmm. Oh, no, no, sorry. I was still in ICU. Sorry. Yeah. I was in ICU for a month. Okay. Yeah. What was that recovery process like? Talk me through that. Physically, it was fine. Yeah. Because, I, I mean, I, you're very engaging and you sound very positive now. So there's obviously been a journey. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, yeah. And so, so when, when, it, when it came to the 
physical side because I had that because I was so like disciplined and rigid and you know stubborn with the gym like because I had built that base up. Don't get me wrong. Everything, my, all my muscles melted. Like mm. I, I was dropped over twenty kilos after hospital. Um, so, so yeah, after I woke up. Anyways, um, I getting back the independence. It wasn't that hard for me. If anything, I I was fighting for more and more because I hated it. I was restricted. I I could only you know go like I could only be in a wheelchair with someone watching me for ages. Hell, when I was in bed, I had someone watching me twenty four hours a day for two months obviously okay of course of course yeah yeah. it's just at the time when you're going through that you you don't you don't it's the last thing you want yeah and it was hard being in hospital because everyone i felt like somewhat of a black sheep i was so young i was 16 everyone was so much older Mm. they're all asking the exact same question matt you're a baby me doing here with a spinal cord injury what happened to you and People that came to visit me. Oh, so this comp- was in your recovery. They're asking, like rehab. They're asking you that. Oh, I'm in hospital at this stage. Yeah, the other people in the ward. They're asking, you know, yeah, what right. happened? Every, everyone just seems to want to know what happened to the yeah, to the guy in the chair. Right. And I never felt I could tell the truth. You know, I said I had an accident, and I mean, everyone on the ward was saying that. So it's no you saying that. I have to say I had a fall. I wasn't lying, but I was too ashamed, embarrassed, um, yeah, to say the truth. And so I I never felt I could. Although the reason I bring this up is because a week before I left hospital, it's, in, it's now, what, three and a half, four months later, I was I went with my mum and caught a train about an hour or so away and just because I wanted some piercings. I got them done and, you know, like – I've been wanting these piercings for a few months while I was in hospital. I was like, just, I was asking my mom, like, look, do you mind if I get it? Do you mind if I get it? Do you mind if I, I get so it? want to know where you got these piercings. <laughs> where, like what they are? <laughs> yeah, where did you get them? I can see an eyebrow one. Yep, yep, the, yeah. the two eyebrow dermals. Is that yeah, what you I, got? Yeah. Oh, my brain went so other areas. <laughs> <laughs> what is Luna on there? Eyebrow rings. <laughs> I was a bit shocked that you're taking your mum to get your piercings done, but anyway, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was obsessed with them at the time. And yeah. Anyways, I would, yeah, let's not go down that rabbit hole. Yeah. But um, but yeah, because I was like really obsessed with them and I liked them, I was you know I had a smile that day. I was actually like happy, and plus I got, got to see my piercer that I um you know I really liked. Anyways, on the train ride back to the hospital, halfway through the trip, this guy comes on, and I've never met him in my life. Now, he's a real bogan sort of character, right? He's got no filter. He just, he walks on before he even sits down, looks to his right. It's like, what did you do to yourself? Jesus Christ, look at you. <laughs> and he's a lot louder than that, by the way. Mm. But um, <laughs> I swear to you how I was feeling because of the piercings, you know, like I was a lot lighter. And I never come across a guy like this, someone so blunt, so just like, blah, what happened? Jesus Christ, look at you. Like, I never had anything like that, and it just came out. I said I attempted suicide, and then he starts laughing and said, "That was pretty fucking stupid, wasn't it?" <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> God. No, God, I, I, and <laughs> it's so it's uh, it's, it's I laugh about it now, right? Yeah. But like yeah, at the time, it was really weird. I didn't know how to take it and get this right. He's he just wants to sit across from me and wants to have his conversation after that. Yeah. I'm like, all right, sure. <laughs> but 
But it was the next morning. I woke up with this this like lightness that I had never felt for as long as I could remember. And this was the first time I went and saw my social worker willingly. You know, I didn't wait for her to chase me up. And I told her the truth. I was like, hey, look, just check out these piercings firstly. But, you know, <laughs> this happened on, like, like on the train on yeah. the way back. And, yeah, you know, like this is how I feel this morning. All this stuff, it's just, yeah, I don't know what's going on. It's, yeah, it's really quite weird. And the thing about my social worker, though, I want to add, she was very real, very real. You know, one thing I didn't like about it personally this is what I felt like every like psychologist that like I spoke to, I'm not saying I'm not bad mouthing psychologists. It's just I, I didn't find one that I connected with truly. But they were all, they, I don't know. I would, I'd always hear you know, oh, it's okay and all stuff, and everything's gonna be alright. And well, I'm like, are you fucking serious? I just went and attempted suicide, and I'm in fucking hospital with all these injuries. Are you serious? Yeah, like, you needed some like, bit of more tough love. My social worker was that. She's like, yeah, yeah, it's a shitty situation. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. what do you have in your control though? It's yeah. like stuff like that, she would say, right? Anyways, I, I'm here I am sharing with her and she says, Matt, maybe there's something there and that maybe, you know, maybe if you were to open up to the people close to you in life, potentially you could strengthen the relationship you already have with them. Those words would never leave my head because I tell you at the time, I didn't want to hear them. I, I And like, and I'm like, what are you talking about? And like, she said, Matt, well, look, look what happened. You, for the first time, you told the full truth. You know, you attempted suicide to a complete stranger and you wake up feeling lighter. Maybe there's something there in that. I basically cut the conversation and left the room because I didn't want to talk to her after that. But I, um, let's just say that conversation left a mark on me that day and I couldn't stop thinking about it. And, you know, my ex was visiting me that day and well then that afternoon after school and yeah, I told her the truth. I said, Look, this is yeah, this is how I, I'm I'm feeling. And get this right, like <laughs> with my mind at the time, right, it's the you know, the oh, like talking is such an uncomfortable thing. I never like talking. And here I am in hospital, like I, 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 I feel like nothing really gets any worse than this or I don't, know, I don't even know if the pain will ever end and all this stuff. And he, he, he's my girlfriend sitting across from me and like, I'm telling her everything that's going through my mind, everything that I'm feeling. And she's like, Matt, I've never felt closer to you and I've never loved you more. And hearing those words, God, it, it <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I, I honestly choke up almost every time I talk about this because at the time, this really, really got me. Four months prior, I'm looking perfect. I'm ripped. I'm muscular, looking great. You know, got all the attention in the world, popular, all that stuff. And now I'm in hospital, scrawny, all these injuries in a wheelchair, yada, 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 right? And she's saying she's never loved me more and never felt closer. How can she feel closer? She's visiting me. She has to come out of her way like for an hour and a half to go and visit me like most days. How does she feel close to me? God, how can she love me when I'm like this? That brought me to such like, like just tears were pouring out of me because yeah, I, I <laughs> maybe my social work was right. Maybe the one thing I've been resisting this entire time has been the one thing I've been needing this entire time. And so I started talking to some of my mates 
And then the two people I thought they were never going to know, my parents, I started talking to them as well. And sure enough, my social worker was right. Don't get me wrong, not all my mates wanted to, or didn't know how to deal with it as well. So some of them drifted, but I found out who valued me as much as I valued them. Mm. And Your parents would have known, though, that it was a suicide attempt. Yeah, so, and so, yeah, everyone that was in my very close immediate circle knew it was a suicide attempt. You just hadn't verbalized it to them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's very obvious. Mm. Yeah. Mm. How did you go from that conversation with your girlfriend, admitting sort of where you're at mentally in terms of that mental space? How did you go from that to becoming a mental fitness facilitator? What the hell is Mm. a mental fitness facilitator, by the way? (laughs) I'll get to that in a sec. I'll get to that in a sec. So (laughs) when it comes to – so, like, don't get me wrong. After I've, you know, seen – like, after I've now talked to people in my life, I've got – I have a supportive network. I am still depressed at this stage and I'm, you know, still upset Though it was, what, eight months later, I'm, I'm now home and, you know, it's the end of the year. My social worker, she asked me to come back to the hospital. She's like, Matt, I've got an opportunity. She asked me if I was open to sharing my story just with about 30 or so young people about the same age as me. I was, what, 17 at the time? And, yeah, she brought up the guy on the train as well. She's like, Matt, remember that, remember that day? Remember, do you... Remember how that helped you? What if you could help others help you as well? Could that could that happen? And like I never liked talking. Like that's a constant thing that I just really? had on my mind. I wouldn't get that. <laughs> <laughs> now I don't shut up. You're very but... eloquent. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man. I um yeah, and so I but there was this how do I say it, a feeling of complete certainty and such a warm feeling in my heart and you know when your gut's just screaming at you do it and like yeah "Yeah, do it do it it's like this thought that said matt if you helped someone how would that feel for you are you still going through rehab though at this stage for your spinal cord injury well i'm home right so this is so this is december that year so this is what 11 months after my injury right i so i was Am I still doing rehab? At, at that stage, I was, but it wasn't much at all. I, I was only doing once a week because I was, you know, my mindset wasn't great at the time. I, yeah. I wasn't really driven. Then three months later would be the first time I started sharing, which was March um, 2017. And I was shit scared. Just, you know, I mean, I don't know how I'm going to go about it, how I'm going to start or anything. And so my, the manager of the program was like, look, I'll just ask you questions. Don't worry. You'll, you'll be fine. And afterwards I'm just thinking, what are they all thinking of me? What have I done? Why did I do this? And yeah, after that, um, I just, I, I was just looking down. I didn't want to see anyone, but it honestly shocked me because they came and approached me and they said, Matt, you inspired me today, Matt. Thank you for sharing. Got a lot out of it. Matt, I want to help my friends more after hearing you share. And that was so, uh, how do I say it? Hearing that after believing for five years that you are, you're worthless, that you're a waste of space. It, it just, uh, it, 
it, it, it caused such confusion. There's like conflict inside of me. It's like the good angel, bad angel, like going off right now. The the bad angel being all the thoughts and beliefs, but you know, reality is telling me something else. And so when I held it, when I was in the room, but when I was by myself, I just bucketed into tears and I couldn't help it. I mean, just all this emotion came up because I was of value today. Mm. And don't get me wrong. It's not like in that moment I was now, I'm no longer depressed. God, no, it doesn't work like that. I stayed at that program and the, that year I I'd finished high school and I was like, why don't I know? I, I, I don't just want like a monotonous career nine to five that I'm going to waste my life away. I want to take this somewhere because I know there's other young people that needing, needing what I'm sharing, needing my, not just my story, but what I've got to share with them. And I started talking at schools like when I straight, straight after high school, I started going to the corporate world conferences and ever I could to share my message because it's so relevant and so universal. It doesn't discriminate. Mm. Mm. Mental health affects all each and every one of us. Though I wanted to then develop it from being just mental health to mental fitness because there's a heavy stigma attached to mental health. Yeah. It does not help. You know, the first thing that comes to mind, you know, you bring up mental health, it's like, oh, depression, suicide, and all these things, right? And it's always negative connotations. I know. I'm going to have to put so many trigger warnings at the start of this episode. <laughs> but literally, like I am. like, And that's what's, that's, that, that is obviously a public service that you have to do. But there's also a very mm. positive aspect to your story, you know. Mm. And, and that's, this is the biggest thing that I'm all about, leaving people better than when you found them. Yeah. You, want, you always want to leave a sense of hope, a sense of, you know, maybe there's a potential that I, I could do more, be more. And we all want that deep down. We all yeah. want more, I suppose, more of anything, right? More life, <laughs> essentially. And um, yeah, we uh, don't address mental health, I, per- I personally believe, in a, uh, in a constructive way. If we are just, for, and I, I'd love to hear your take on this as well, given obviously... Um, that I'm a functional moron sure (laughs) (laughs) I'll give it my best shot (laughs) what's wrong with that okay (laughs) yeah I am yeah so if we're just saying oh one in five Australians are going to be depressed and or anxious Mm -hmm. if we're just saying that oh you know suicide's the worst it's ever been if, if we're saying you know every four I think it's every four minutes someone attempts suicide in Australia something like that you're saying, saying, you're saying that to me as if I know the stat, but okay, I'm going to go with it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I honestly need to brush up <laughs> my stats. But if we're just saying that, right, if we're just saying that, all we are talking about in mental health is the negativity, is yeah. the downsides. Yeah. Mental health is a spectrum but don't, of emotions. <clears throat> the thing. But don't you think, excuse me, don't you think that they, um, they're saying that to bring awareness of how serious the situation is? I mean, as much as we're saying that there's a spectrum, mm. uh, the reality is you were depressed and you ended up. I'm not, and I'm not saying that everyone does that's depressed, but or has anxiety. But the reality is, in your situation, you were depressed and you ended up trying to commit suicide. So yeah. by them saying those stats, there is a negative connotation because it is a serious situation that people need to be aware of. That you Absolutely, do need to help yeah. people that are in that, you know, in that spiral. 
I, I, and I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. Though, if we end the conversation there, what are we left thinking about mental health with? It's bad. It's this. It's negative. I don't want. To, I don't want to talk about it. We're associating negative ne- negativity to it. Though, and this is what I intend on each and every workshop that I run, and each and every time I have an opportunity to speak, is that like with mental health we need to address the dirt we have to address the downside we have to we need to say that you know one in five australians are going to be depressed or and or anxious but we can't end the conversation there if i just tell you i've attempted suicide and i'm now paraplegic i'm that's your the way you're going to think about me is that oh he's just wallowing in his past and he's just no i'd say come on wheels let's go for a drink (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) you and i would have been best friends (laughs) and um so there needs to be that sense of hope leaving people better than when you found them right so talking about mental health okay we're you know what a shit sandwich is right giving feedback right you positive negative positive yeah, paint a pretty picture, give them the real, like the reality, then, you know, leave them off greater than you found them. Yeah. That's what we should be doing with mental health. That way, people aren't firstly viewing it as such a negative thing. And people start to think about mental health as in, instead of depression, suicide, we're now thinking of, wow, possibility, fulfillment, maybe, maybe an opportunity. And, and like, and so the reason I now frame it as mental fitness all my life, I've, I've basically, I, and I still go to the gym now, right? I play basketball basically every day. I am all about fitness. And fitness, you need to work out physically, right? To maintain good health. But to maintain good mental health, you need mental fitness. So what does that uncover? Understanding and overcoming fears. Developing mental strength. Developing resilience. And building the ability to bounce back. That is so key. Mm. And there are, d- there are different techniques we can use and concepts we can dive into that go into this, to, in, into these topics. And what, apart from living it, what research and have you like have you studied this? Because my concern is that we're going from what you're saying, and I and I completely respect your journey and the message that you're saying, but I don't want to trivialize mental health and be like well, you're depressed, there's a, always a silver lining and you're going to be fine. Like people need to do that, do the work, the mental gymnastics in regards to seeking help and and mm. and um, obviously discussion with, you, with your uh, doctors and so forth in regards to whether or not medication and what treatments and so forth are, are required. So I don't want, to, mm. don't want to skip over that aspect of things. Yes, there is a light at the end of the tunnel in regards to people can, people can come out of it, but I don't. I want to be really clear in regards to the messaging as well. Yes, 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 of course, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how do you, when you're saying your mental fitness and you've got to work at it like you work at the gym, what are you, what are you meaning? What practical aspects of things are you meaning? Mm. The first thing that really transformed my life that I think is very, very key is the ability to be present. So the ability to be in the moment, not be, uh, you know, thinking about things in the future, things in the past. Because if we're thinking about the future, typically we might get anxious, we get worried and concerned, things are going to be this way or don't know how I'm going to approach X, Y, Z. Or think about the past, things we regret, things we wish were different, things, you know, that, you know, make us upset. And though if we're in the present moments, 
and we're completely accepting what is now, we aren't we, we aren't holding any resistance. Mm-hmm. So we're not upset, we're not frustrated, we're not resentful, we're not, you know, anxious. We are, you know, if anything, we're grateful. Because if you're if you're able to accept everything that is now, you are appreciating what you have in the present moments. Because you're not trying to escape and find other things to occupy your mental space. If you can be in the now, I promise you there's more peace in the now than there ever be in any other time. And so with that, I was forced when I was in hospital to feel my emotions. I have no running from what's going on. I have, so for the first two months of me being in hospital, I see you in the, in the first month of the spinal ward. I was on 24 hour watch. I would, whether I was eating, shitting, sleeping, doesn't matter. I am, I, I am being watched, right? I am forced to feel my emotions. I couldn't run away from them. I, I, I had, yes, I was medicated, uh, like with all the painkillers and stuff, but I had nowhere to run. And actually, when I was in hospital, I was refusing my antidepressants. At the time, like at the time, I was just like, "No, don't, don't, don't give them to me." And so I was forced to feel my emotions, and that's one thing I didn't do beforehand. I was constantly escaping, and so the, the ability to be present and to sit with yourself is so key. If we're constantly seeking vices and things to escape our feelings, how can we accept reality for what it is? And how can we go then become greater than it? can't are you advocating for not medicating i'm not saying that at all okay so i just want to be clear on that yeah yeah Yeah. i I should make that clear too yeah i um my thoughts on medication personally i don't believe they should be the first thing we go to in in extreme circumstances i think there's a place for it there's definitely a place for medication i just think if we become too heavily dependent on it then mentally we won't have well, we, we lessen our capacity to be able to overcome the struggle rather than relying on it. There's no difference. Personally, if I have to live, this is my take on that. When I was 13 years old on Coke, going to that to fix, quote unquote, fix my mental state versus rely on these pills that I'm taking each and every day for the rest of my life, there's no difference. Oh, I think there's a big difference, Matt. In terms of, obviously, I think there's a difference because I think from from my understanding, and I'm not a medical professional, but I think that there's there's the medication that will sort of stop you having the massive highs and the lows. It evens you out a little bit, and then I think that the the mental gymnastics in regards to seeking um, counselling and treatment and that sort of things definitely has to happen. It's not just the medication; everything's going to go away. But I. I don't agree with you in regards to that statement. <laughs> yeah, fair, fair. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. And the way I, what I was referring to, the reason I said it's basically the same thing is that it, if, if you are dependent on it. And so my, and there's not, there's, I'm not bad mouthing anyone who ha, who is on medication. I think it, it helps a lot of people and it has its place though. If we can develop the ability to, be present with our emotions, sit with them, and then understand them, overcome them, that's going to be a much healthier approach because then we have the answers and tools within ourselves rather than relying on someone else or something else. What was your spinal cord injury? You mentioned that you're a paraplegic. What was the actual injury that you sustained? So I, they, 
it's so if you want the level to t12 like, okay and I, it was complete I, I put up quotation marks complete because <laughs> basically a complete injury is saying your spinal cord has been severed into two there is wow. no nerves being sent beyond that level i'm now doing sit to stands with my trainers every day and i'm getting on the bike in the gym pedaling away independently i will walk again i guarantee you wow that's wow but there's no there's meant to be no signals going yeah. down to and, that i even saw the mri like the reason i put my like, hands to the side is because like one end was like next to the other <laughs> so have you had have that has that moved at all I haven't done another MRI. I have no idea if I'm honest. And so, yeah, so, so, and this is my belief. And this is what I'm all about is that we have the internal resources in ourselves to bounce back. And the reason my, I, I personally, this is what just based on my experience, my belief, it is because my body, mind, and spirit are fully aligned with my goal. Yeah. Yeah. The spirit, right? I have the belief that I'm actually going to be able to go about this has to start there. Then mentally having the persistence and the perseverance to keep going no matter what reality is telling me, staying firm in that belief, but then physically doing the rehab, actually doing the work, it has been 80% mental, 20% physical. Mm. But the results show. And I could, uh, yeah, I, I could send you some videos or whatever on my Instagram and Facebook. There's some stuff that has me standing. I'll link your Instagram in the show notes. People can go and have a look at it. <clears throat> um, you mentioned that your girlfriend at the time, you referred to her as your ex-girlfriend. What happened mm-hmm. to that relationship if she's saying to you in this, in hospital, I feel the closest that I've ever felt to you and you're having this emotional realisation? What mm. happened, Matt? Yeah, and so it's uh, we were actually together like for what, another two years after hospital as well. So we were together for yeah. five and a half years in total. Um, let's just say that's like a lifetime when you're that that age. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's a third of my life at that time. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she, she's all I knew, and um, I was yeah. Let's just say you can only stretch a rubber band so far before it snaps because we just grew apart. Yeah. And yeah, and if that yeah, yeah, that analogy. How have you found dating now? It's exciting when I get to meet meet new people. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, I, I've I yeah. honestly I have no drama meeting new people. Do people like does a wheelchair concern me? Or whatever. At first, it did. I was like, like how do I go about this? Um, though, when it comes to when it comes to meeting new people, I've I put my attention on them. I want the, like, like like when I talk to someone, I want I want it to be about them. Obviously, I don't want. I mean, like, and by having my attention on the other person, I I'm not looking at myself. I'm not looking at the chair, how I'm looking, or you know what uh, what are they thinking of me or whatever. No, it's like, okay, I want, like what are they sharing? Okay, why do they feel this way? Why are they in like, where they are? I trying to you know really take in what, the, what they're sharing, be with them, understand them, not me. And so that really then helped me because now by, by doing that, I was communicating better and I was meeting new people and it was, yeah, it bit increased my confidence greatly at the time. Where are you, what's next for you? Because I mean, you were, 
in hospital dealing with rehab. You completed school. I didn't cat. I didn't not miss that whilst you were in hospital dealing with the injuries. Um, you're now facilitating the mental fitness lectures. Like, where are you? Where are you wanting to go with this, Matt? Because it's a, it's a strong message in regards to what you're wanting to say. Mm. Yeah, and. I would love to amplify my message as much as possible. Yeah. The f- and the first way I'm, I'm doing that is by writing my book. I've nearly finished my first draft. Congratulations. Really excited so about it. So you're seeking a publisher or do you have a publisher lined up? No, nah, I'm seeking a publisher All right, right now. Publishers, <laughs> hit Matt up on his website. <laughs> It'll be linked to the show notes below. <laughs> Thank you, Fiona. I love it. I, um, yeah, I um. Yeah, so th- that's one thing. But after that, I like I, I I I want everything to then be about you know it's now about what I'm bringing people because my past is my past. Yeah. Yes, my story has value, and I'm, I'm not like I'm not going to share it again. Like I am, I am going to, but what the person I am now is far greater than than that story. This, this and so what I want to build is this company that's called See What's Real. It's going to be a platform where like, firstly there's going to be like books and there's going to be um what do, what do you call it like, like worksheets and like th- things that, that all tie in that maybe that book connects to this worksheet that connects to this course that connects to this seminar that connects to this opportunity here and i've got some other ideas in my mind that um in terms of what i love to create as well that sort of hasn't been done yet but um yeah I, i'm gonna expand that well, that's exciting. What's the key demographic people? I mean, you mentioned that you go out and speak to corporate environments, but I think that you, am I correct in saying that you're also speaking with teenagers as well in regards to yeah. mental health? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So given my age, so currently I'm 22, though when I got started doing this, I was, well, first of the program, I was 17, but when I was going into schools myself, I was 18. So I'm their older brother, basically. I'm, I'm yeah. old enough to be their sibling. And so... I, I, I connect well with them, but then the corporate space as well. The corporate space has a massive need for people to not only be confident, but to be driven. And, but then also to have supports in place at the workplace because mental struggles really come up, pressures put on. And so, and more times than not, these employees also have kids themselves that tends to look after. Sometimes mm-hmm. they feel overwhelmed. They don't know how to support them or how they can, establish meaningful connection there so yeah that i although one thing i'd love to focus on moving forward is more corporate because i definitely see a need there for it and if i can impact adults i'm indirectly impacting the teens and young people that's a valid point matt how do people get on to you in regards to getting you for corporate speaking events yep so my website is mattcarawana.com so it's m-a-t-t-c-a-r uana.com mm-hmm. my instagram's matt shares and my facebook and linkedin and matt caruana perfect thanks for coming on matt and sharing story thank you fiona i really appreciate it thank you very much thanks for taking a moment to listen everyone we hope this episode inspired you as much as it did us if you know somebody who also needs a little inspiration then please share this podcast with them also don't forget to subscribe on your fave podcast app and rate and review us because that helps inspire us to keep making them 